start to ramp ourselves up through this Christmas season. Uh, I know Thanksgiving has not come. My, my little brother is already asking to repent this morning. He said, why do you keep going to Christmas and you just skip right over Thanksgiving? The turkey has not come. So for those of you that are uh, Christmas Nazis and you don't want any Christmas celebration, Christmas music before Thanksgiving, we repent of our joy in the Lord and ask that you would open your hearts to celebrating the truth of Christmas. Although, if you celebrate Christmas in July, there's just something wrong with you, okay? <laughs> it does not happen in July. It's in December. So, uh, nonetheless, we're going to turn our attention, and in the month of December, we're going to go through John chapter 1, and then in January, as we come up to uh, the new year, 2020, we're going to have a kind of vision and mission series of truth and hope that we exist for how do we accomplish this mission that God has given us? And then we're going to do a little series on ecclesiology, which is uh, plain and simple from that. Is what does it look like for us to be in the church? Studying the gospel of being the church. So we're going to spend some time there. We'll probably hop back into the gospel of John. And maybe we'll see what the Lord leads. If we come back to Genesis or another But giving you a little bit of a framework uh, as we move forward. And so as, as you open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 1, as I was preparing for this message, uh, the Lord was continuing to, to work through His Word in my heart and in my mind. Uh, and, and I wanted to lay out for you this morning a theological truth and a, a, a framework for John's Gospel. Uh, how many of you have seen recently there's a meme that went across uh, Facebook? I think somebody actually tagged me in it. They basically have... The four Gospels in the four squares, right? So you've got the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, and the Gospel of John. Does anybody know the, the main driving factor of the Gospel of Matthew? Like, what is Matthew trying to accomplish in his writing? Jacob, did you tag me in this post? Yeah, okay, okay. So, Gospel of Matthew, anybody know? What, what is Matthew's drive in writing his Gospel? Why did he write the Gospel of Matthew? Uh, what he began to do. On every gospel is about Jesus' death. Yes. 
Main focus, main emphasis. Oh, is there a pretty good Sunday school answer? Jesus. <laughs> uh, okay, so Jesus is presented through the, the Gospel of Luke as the fulfillment of the long-awaited promises of God. Right? So you have Son of Man, the suffering servant, the one who fulfills Scripture, and the promised one, the Messiah. And then in the Gospel of John, John's main emphasis here is not just to put together historical truth. He is trying to drive home the point that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh who is dwelt among us. That's why we read from Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Who Jesus, who was man, who was born of a virgin, although he, he was born from God, did not count his equality to be equal with God. He, he ran after the cross. Right? And he, he suffered, bled, and died for us. He is the Son of God displayed and made real and made in the flesh for us. So this morning as we start to look at John, we're going to look briefly John chapter 1. Uh, we're going to really emphasize the first five verses this morning. So follow along as I read from, from God's Word. John 1 verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. This is the word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Amen. As we drive to our Christmas season, our real emphasis here through the Gospel of John is going to be that Jesus, as the Son of God, is the light. That's why you see this little slide this morning. We have seen the great light. We're going to be celebrating the light of Jesus and how Jesus has come to shine a light on the world and bring the truth of God and expose it to dark and lost people and bring them into relationship with Him. And so there are, are four truths that are essential to Christianity about the person of Jesus. So I just want to make a little quick book recommendation. James and I were talking about this this morning. If you're looking for a Good book on Christology, the study of Jesus. Here's one right here for you. It's called Knowing Christ by Mark Jones. Uh, it's uh, a couple hundred pages, real nice and short. Uh, chapters are like five, ten pages of piece, but it's all about the person of Jesus. And so some of what we're going to cover this morning comes from, uh, from some of Mark Jones' work. But um, four, four essential truths that we need to see about the person of Jesus for Christianity and why it's important for us in Thanksgiving and in the Advent season. So here are the four truths. Jesus is divine. That's number one. Jesus is, in fact, God. Number two is Jesus is God incarnate. He's God in the flesh among us. So it's a full God, fully man. The third truth, which is essential to the message of Christianity for this season, is that Jesus was born of a virgin. And then the fourth truth is that Jesus is the Savior. So let's flesh each one of these out for you this morning, according to God's word. So our first point is that Jesus is divine. So Jesus is actually the person of God. And again, look at John chapter 1, verse 1 here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning 
Now, when, how many of you, when you heard in the beginning, thought uh, uh, right away to Genesis? Good, good. Trying to do shifty, reflecting on the truth of what we just learned in Genesis. Genesis 1 relates to John chapter 1. The Bible works together, friends. It is true. But first and foremost, what we see here is that Jesus is described as being in the beginning. He was with God. As God formed the earth, as he filled the earth, the truth of God's word tells us that Jesus was there with him. So in the beginning, before all of creation existed, before the foundations of the world had been settled, God was in community with his son, Jesus, and also with the Holy Spirit. The Trinity existed in perfect community together. And Jesus, as a divine son, it tells us in these opening verses a few important truths. So you can see here, it says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word is capitalized. The W of Word is capitalized in your translation, right? Anybody not have it capitalized? Okay, my point. Right? So it is capitalized for a reason. The word that is used here is logos, right? The word in Greek, logos, actually means that he is the, the word that has come to life, the word that brings life into the people of God. So Jesus is the eternal word of God. He is the faithful message of God. He is the perfect reflector of God's image and his goodness. Jesus was with him from the beginning. So also what we find here is that as Jesus was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, the word's purpose is to reveal the person of God. So why do we read the Bible? We read the Bible, we again and again smash into people's minds the necessity of the ordinary means of grace because we truly believe that the Bible actually reveals the person of God. We believe that the Bible is sufficient to teach us all things leading to salvation, but also to equip us to live a life of godliness and to know God and enjoy Him forever. We truly believe what John 1 1 talks about, that the Word reveals the character of God, the goodness of God, the salvation of God, that the Word actually does work in people's lives. And a note for that, too, is that that affects the life of any local church. So if you ask me, what is the prescription of growth here at the Human Church of Hope? Uh, here's what my answer would be. The Word does the work. How does the church grow? The Word grows the church. As we continue to come back to the Bible, as we teach people about the truths of Scripture, and we, we have to have a long haul, a long vision for this, but we also can see this in, in the short term, that the Word of God, as it is explained in its context, in its meaning, to reveal the truths of God, for God's people actually does build the church. I, I truly believe that. I think gathering together is an important thing. I think reaching kids is an important thing. I think that there are some things that we can see that are about the life of the church, actions that we do that are important things. But if you ask me the truth of how does the church grow, I would say the church grows because of God's word. Because he's faithful. He's faithful to reveal himself, build up his body, and show others the goodness of so God builds the church through the work. Now that doesn't mean that we're irresponsible and we have no call of action. No, because we know the word and because we've been revealed to the person of God, we are now sent by God to proclaim his word. So this is why I think Catholics get wrong in a sense of thinking through works-based salvation. 
our works-based sanctification, right? If we do all of these things, if we act in this way, if we perform these works, then we will, we will ultimately reveal the truth of God. Well, there's some truth to that, but there's also an element in which we need to express the word. If we do things, but we don't tell people about Jesus, then we are silent assassins. Just silently holding the hope that we have against people. We need to actually speak about the truth of the gospel. So Jesus is divine because he is the eternal word. He has existed with God from the beginning. He reveals the person of God, the goodness of God, the salvation of God. He is also the creator. In John 1, verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then the first half of verse 4 is, in him was life. So we prayed this morning, we sang this morning, and we're going to proclaim this morning that in Jesus you actually find life. In him, in the person of Jesus, we will find eternal life and life abundantly. It's why we continue to tell people to come back again and again, not just to action, but to loving Jesus. As we love God, as we walk with Him, as we pursue Him, as we grow in our affection for Him, we actually find life. Purpose. Man, everybody's getting out there. Huh? <laughs> you gotta have a silent female here. <laughs> find in Jesus true life. He was in the beginning. He was the creator. Colossians 1, if you flip over to Colossians 1, real quickly, Colossians 1, verse, verse 15 through 20, speak of God's power through the work of Jesus, his preeminence. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the centrality of what it means to have life in God. If you have no relationship with Jesus, you can't know what it's like to walk with we have to find in him our purpose in our life. He was in the beginning. He existed with God. He was the eternal word. He reveals God's character. He's the creator of the world. He's also is a divine, is the son of God. He is the shepherd for God's people. So Jesus doesn't just exist to reveal God's truth and character or to proclaim it or to be a creator. He exists to care so I just want to want to remind you of just a couple of instances in which God has worked through his people in church history. If you, if you look at Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah is sent as a prophet to the nation of Israel. They've been sent in exile. They're living in Babylon. Many of you know Jeremiah 29 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, to give you a hope in the future, not to harm you. And so God wrote that promise to his people in captivity in Israel, which were not in captivity, right? So I can go on a whole rant about why we should just be plastered Jeremiah 29, 11, all those things. But nonetheless, we see the messages written to God's people for that time as they're held in captivity 
But as they're walking in the land of Babylon, they're seeing idolatrous worship in the nation that rules over them, but they're also seeing a lying priesthood. The priesthood is confronted again and again for their, their rebellion and apathy toward God. God continues to use Jeremiah to tell them, turn from your sin and come back to me. And in Jeremiah 23, God promises his people that there will be a righteous branch, that there will be one who will care for the sheep of God's flock, that he will raise up from David a righteous branch who will reign as king, will deal wisely, execute justice and righteousness. And that the people of God will proclaim that the Lord is their righteousness. In Ezekiel chapter 34, God again uses this imagery of shepherds. That, that Jesus is a shepherd who will care for his people. Many of us know from Ezekiel, the passage in the Valley of Dry Bones, that God breathed life into people and brings them from the bone and from non-existence into existence with him, with, with hope in him. But God in, in Ezekiel 34, he prophesies against the shepherds of Israel who will again abandon the people and their care for them so that they could be in their own comfort. But Jesus is the shepherd who comes to rescue God's people, not for the sake of his own glory and comfort, but for the sake of rescuing them from sin. So Jesus exists as the eternal word. He reveals the Father. He is the creator. He is the shepherd of God's people. Jesus is divine. But the second point of this is that Jesus is with us. So if you have your Bible, flip over to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 is a, a prophecy given from Isaiah. God spoke this through him to, his, to the people of God. This is what he says in Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9, verse 1. Following. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Nepali. But in the latter time, he has made, made glorious the way of the sea and land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy, they rejoice before you, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, for the, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every brute of trampant warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on upon his shoulder, and his name shall be wonderful counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I don't know about you, but I've often heard this passage read, especially as we get to, for up to us a child is born. And I think of like peaceful tranquility. Right? You think of the manger scene, and you're like, oh, cute little baby Jesus, right? He's going to come, and he's going to be a wonderful counselor, and mighty God, Prince of Peace. And 
Then you make the context of what happened before this, and God's like speaking through Isaiah, and he says, there will be no more gloom for the people of God. There will be no more destruction. I'm going to come with a mighty hand and wipe out your enemies. And I'm going to do it through the birth of a child who will bring peace on the ages. So it just reignites God with us, God's presence with us. He's not just bringing us peace, but he's also defeating his enemies. He's coming to establish peace, not just in the sense of tranquility, but he's also establishing peace for there's a sense of reconciliation and restoration that comes in the person of Jesus. So Jesus is God with us. And our passage of reading for this morning in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11, we saw that Jesus is fully God and fully man. That, that text said, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I just think a, a little contextual note right there. This is not just a reflection on the person of Jesus. This is a song for the people of Jesus that Paul writes to these people. This is actually meant to be sung like a hymn. Where he's saying, have this mind among yourself. Remind each other this. Sing this together. Continue to encourage each other in these things. Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And this is the idea that God, as he sends Jesus to us, as Jesus comes in the flesh, as he dwells with us, he is fully God, fully capable of his divine outworkings, right? He could have spoken into creation and said, be still and know that there is peace. He could have restored all of creation to its intended order. But God saw that his plan to rescue his people wasn't just for him to speak the word, but to fulfill the word by sending his son to die on the cross in our place so that we could have reconciliation. So Jesus comes not just to fulfill the promise, but he also comes in the promise and walks out in flesh among us to know what it's like for us to be. I love in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews describes Jesus as the great intercessor, the great mediator, the great priest who walks with us and knows our weaknesses. We have an empathetic Savior. This is not just a divine being overlooking us and saying, I'm going to fix all your problems. He's just saying, I'm caring for you. I love you. Freed from the land of slavery. 
God sends Moses on mission, and Moses is like, I can't do that. Nope, not happening. And then Moses walks into God's presence, he sees him in a burning bush, he tells him to take off his sandals, for he's come to holy ground. And as God continues to speak to Moses, and Moses cries back to him, complains, like, I can't do this, God, I can't do this, God. He says, I am Yahweh. Yahweh is with you. He's saying to Moses, Moses, you're not going to do it. I'm going to do it. But I'm going to use you. Would you obey my call and be used? For my goodness and for my glory. Jesus and the I am in John's gospel, he actually fulfills God's mission. Ultimately rescuing God's people from the grave of sin. So Jesus is divine. Jesus is the incarnation. He is God with us. But Jesus is also born of a virgin. And there are things that I think all of us could celebrate about Christ this morning and say yes and amen to. We can say yes and amen to the incarnation. I hope, right? How many of you can celebrate the incarnation? Amen. The incarnation. Okay? Jesus is divine. Amen. We're going to see unity on that 100% across the board. But one thing that we often forget is the miracle of Jesus actually coming to the world through a virgin. We're like, well, if Jesus is fully God, fully man, how does that happen? It can only happen through God's intervention and actually bringing him to life. And that's the Virgin Mary. And so, flip again to Isaiah. We're going to look at Isaiah 7 briefly. Isaiah chapter 7 is the prophecy that comes of this virgin who gives birth to somebody who will rescue God. Isaiah 7, verses 10 through 17 says this. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. He said, ask a sign of the Lord, your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. So God gives Ahaz this opportunity. He says, you can ask me any question you want. It can be as deep and depressing as Sheol, the place of rest and separation, or it can be as high as heaven. And Ahaz, a smart man, he says, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Right? Smart man. And but the Lord says, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name. He shall lay curds and honey, when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. And before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. So Ahaz, smart, responds and didn't want to put the Lord to test. Always a good thing for us to practice now. But the Lord wanted to, in his graciousness and in his power, reveal a sign to the people of Israel, which would come through the birth of a virgin and Emmanuel, who is Emmanuel, Isaiah 9. The one who will come will be the mighty counselor, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And then Matthew chapter 1. Flip over to Matthew.
Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17, we see the genealogy of Jesus, which actually goes all the way back to David, the son of Abraham. Abraham all the way back to Adam. And then in verses 18 and following, you can hear the birth account of Jesus. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. So this is like in one verse is a very quick note, right? One of the extra Matthew uh, sink our teeth into for a moment. Where it says, his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, okay, they were engaged to be wed, which basically meant that they were already in covenant relationship, in which they were saying, I am yours and you are mine, and we are together. This was also a legal relationship, in which there was uh, implications for their marriage. If something came up here, such as adultery, such as uh, infidelity, there would be uh, severe consequences for the guilty party. So this exists, right? They're betrothed to each other. And before they came together, so this gives us a clue that they had not come together. Two shall become one flesh. I would be a dumb blank for it, hopefully, to save the kids, right? <laughs> the two shall become one flesh. They, before they had come together, she was with child from who? From the Holy Spirit. So Mary's virgin, the Holy Spirit, brings Jesus into being through Mary. It's an amazing, amazing thing. But this is the fulfillment of what has been prophesied through Isaiah. It continues to say, her husband Joseph, being a just and unwilling, or just man and unwilling to put him to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He thinks all men should have been unfaithful. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. This is from the Lord in Isaiah chapter 7. And in parentheses, you see a textual note. It says, which means God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. God, through the Holy Spirit, makes Mary pregnant with Jesus. And then the Lord sends an angel, a messenger, to Joseph. And says, Joseph, this is what's happening. This is the Lord's work. Jesus will rescue his people from their sin. And then verse 24, Joseph woke from his sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Joseph walked in obedience and faith, trusting that God was going to work through this. In Luke chapter 1, this prophecy that leads up to Jesus' birth, Gabriel, the, the messenger angel, comes to Zechariah and Elizabeth and, and tells them that they're going to have a, a child. And, and Zechariah is actually made lame for some time. He can't speak. And then, as the, as the Lord works in and through uh, their marriage, he's in his old age, they have a child, and this is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is going to be the one who proclaims the way of the Lord. He makes straight the path of the Lord. And, and then, Zechariah prophesies and sees that there's going to be one who will come who is mightier than John the Baptist, and this is Jesus who comes from a virgin. And we actually see in Luke chapter 1, Mary's response to all of this is praise to the Lord, because Nothing is impossible with God. So 
Jesus is divine. He's incarnate. He's born of a virgin. And all this points to God's character. Nothing's impossible with him. But the most important fact of what we see in the person of Jesus, which we will expose through John's gospel, is that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is divine. Amazing. Jesus is incarnation. Oh my goodness. Jesus from a virgin. Wow, this is really getting intense. But Jesus comes ultimately to be the Savior for his people. Again, Philippians 2. He's equal to the Father, but he submits to the Father's will. He could have denied the cross, but he went to the cross to fulfill God's command and his hope and the need that comes from the separation of God and his people from sin. Jesus, as the Savior, is willing to die for his people. He's willing to atone for their sin. He's willing to cover them. He's willing to rescue them. So Jesus, as the Son of God, is an incredible truth that Christian must hold to. It's an incredible truth that shapes us. It's an incredible truth that separates us from all other world religions. Because here we see God was above his people actually come to his people. Love them in such a way that they rescue them. I want to share with you just a little quote that I found this morning as I was looking through this, this uh, little book, Knowing Christ. It comes from a good Irishman. And it says, James Usher of Ireland referred to the incarnation as the highest pitch of God's wisdom goodness, power, and glory. And Thomas Goodwin further went on to say, he said, when the Son of or the Son of God became flesh, heaven and earth met and kissed one another, namely God and man. In the coming of Jesus, heaven is brought to us the kiss of God. I know we all love that song, how he loves. We never know whether or not to sing sloppy white kiss or not to sing kiss. <laughs> but the truth is that in the person of Jesus, as he Mind. In the flesh, born of the Virgin, comes the Savior to express God's love to His people, to rescue them, and what separates them from their sin and their life and purpose in His name. It is the Lord Jesus that He has come. Not just the Son of Man, not just the suffering servant, but as the Son of God, the Lamb who should take away our sins. Let's pray for Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that in Jesus we have a good high priest. Thank you that he has come to rescue us from sin. God, I pray this morning that we've not responded to this good news. Uh, this would be the day in the end. You draw someone to yourself. God, I pray that as your Thanksgiving this week, as we have the opportunity to share what we're thankful for, we would say we're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for the salvation that He's purchased by His blood. God, as we come to Advent, as we wait and we long for it, we think again on your promises that we will run again to the person of Jesus. God, when we find our hope in you, when we see a plan and a way and a means 
So this morning we get to respond by singing again that song Jesus thing. Uh, it's a great, great way to end the service and a great way to point again to God's promises. So as we get to sing together, we encourage you to sing loudly, sing from the depths of